0: what's up everybody and welcome inside another episode of chillin with shallot i'm tj Shalot play-by-play broadcaster and through my many years traveling the country in several different leagues i have met some incredible people with even better stories and today joining me in studio one of my oldest friends in the industry the guy who really broke me into the industry and now here in charlotte Together,
1: once again, it's Phil Constantino,
0: the Director of Broadcasting with Gardner-Webb. Phil, thanks for coming out
1: and doing this. That's the best introduction I have ever received from anybody.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. When you get that Emmy one day that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, that'll <laughs> blow this out of the water. But thank you very much, Phil you know we led off with it like you were the guy that kind of got me into broadcasting and play-by-play you were the guy that took the proverbial book and hit me upside the head with it and said you know do play-by-play stop sitting behind a board how did you get that that idea when did it pop into your mind that you wanted to be a play-by-play broadcaster one day because i know it was a lot earlier than it was for me
1: so you want to start at the beginning
0: we might as well it's the beginning of the show let's start at the beginning And then we'll we'll go to the end, and then we'll go back to the middle, and then probably back to the end of the beginning again.
1: I don't know that there's any one specific thing that got me into broadcasting. What I do know is that growing up on Long Island, I was a sports junkie, huge baseball fan. The Yankees were the best in the late 90s, early 2000s. I loved watching them. Uh, Eventually learned all of the sports and turned that into an interest that became you know, a job, I guess. I don't know how else to say that uh, I really, I wasn't one of those people that was genuinely inspired by a specific broadcaster right, or a right. specific moment, even though John Sterling, still at 85 years old, the voice of the Yankees, uh, is probably the most memorable voice of my childhood. You bring him up
0: every time we talk. And out of everybody... Well, I my- still
1: listen to him. He's 85 <laughs> years old and he's still kicking somehow. I
0: mean, every you're the guy in my life, when it comes time to talk shop... I talk to you about shop more than anything else. I mean, you and I have had those late night cigar smoking sessions where we're just talking about the business, where it's going. Every single time you bring up John Sterling. Well, I listen to probably,
1: I mean, I probably listen to 162 games a year. I mean, I probably listen to parts, bits and pieces of 100 Yankee games. Okay. Probably catch on television, bits and pieces of 100 games. It's, you know, my current job working in college athletics, this summer is pretty open for me. So I can sit down and enjoy being a fan, and they've consistently been good. And at this point, I know that as long as John's still kicking and he's still doing it, I'm going to listen to him as much as I can because that's the voice of my childhood. So I don't know that there was one specific moment or specific person that got me into it. Um, I do know that when I was younger, so many – family members and f- close friends would say to me, you know so much about sports. You need to be one of those guys talking on WFAN. Right, right. That's what they said to me. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't so sure in high school that it was something that I wanted to do. For a while, I thought maybe I want to be a teacher like my parents were, get into coaching maybe football or baseball or basketball.
0: So you're in high school and you don't even know that that's necessarily where you want to go because obviously I know you and I have a little bit of intimate knowledge about you, but then you go to Penn State and you clearly – study communications right so like was there well somewhere during my senior
1: year somewhere during my senior year of high school it kind of clicked as i started looking at what's my career going to be what's my career path going to be where do i want to go to school uh i was looking at all broadcast programs i'd pretty much decided uh somewhere along um maybe summer going into my senior year of high school fall of my senior year of high school that i wanted to go into broadcasting and applied a bunch of different places, got into a few spots. Uh, Penn State was the best fit uh, for program location financially for being my family at the time, and uh, that's where I ended up at Penn State. But but that's how I got into it. I, I, I can say this. You're going to like this. I think I've told you this story before. I'm sure you have. Let's hear it. The, um, My father is a little stingy, Tony Constantino, a little stingy with the money, right? So for a while, when I was younger, the Yankees were playing on MSG, expanded cable, and he refused, as old school as Tony is, refused for the longest time to pay for the expanded cable box, which is now norm. Right. That's a norm in everyone's home. He refused to do it. So it was like an FDR fireside chat or something. Uh, We were, every night, outside of the maybe 20 games a year that the Yanks played on Uh, Fox 5 in New York, WNYW, Uh, for the vast majority of games per year when they were playing on MSG, because he refused to buy the expanded cable to get MSG, we would sit around the radio in the living room like something out of a 1940s scene.
0: Listening to War of the Worlds, you know. (laughs) yeah,
1: That's that's what we were doing. Like, we were listening to John Sterling. I'll never forget. It was one of those big stack radios, the five CD changer uh, players, and it had... um, it had a radio feature on it. And sure. watch the waveform on the <laughs> digital screen on the front. <laughs> uh, and it was something like out of 1941. Right. And that's what we did. So so maybe, I don't know, maybe there was... Uh, some if you, latent influence. Yeah, if, if you think back into it uh, a little bit, you start diving deep. Maybe there was some influence from uh, listening to all those games as a kid and uh, John Sterling's voice specifically that inspired me. But But I don't specifically look at one person or one moment. I just look at it as a kid that was in love with sports that clearly wasn't And we got cameras around. I mean, do I look like I was an athlete enough? (laughs) Uh, And so uh, how do I stay in it? that's kind of what it was.
0: What's that old phrase? If you can't play the game, coach. If you can't coach, broadcast. Like, it's just kind of. Oh, I I mean,
1: all I ever say about broadcasters is all you got to do is look around. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we're not playing. That's right. There's a reason why we're not even coaching. There's a reason why we're talking.
0: Even when I was in shape. I mean, I wasn't a great athlete. They used to call me the refrigerator in high school because I was so slow. That it was like I had a fridge strapped to my back, really? not because I was the size of a refrigerator. Like, well, <laughs> oh, you, you know, could have fooled me. <laughs> now, man, you know, things are a little different. <laughs> things are. A little, you have even said, though. I mean, going back to John Sterling and, and listening to radio, particularly baseball play-by-play mm-hmm. radio, you've said a trillion times there is no better sport on radio than baseball when it's done right.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, you absolutely. You sit. And you're a hockey guy. I love hockey. And I love listening to really good hockey broadcasters because as someone who doesn't work in hockey, I kind of look at hockey as the hardest to describe because there's so much up and down. There's live substitutions. If you can paint a picture that I can visualize really well in hockey then you're a really talented radio broadcaster.
0: But the one thing hockey, and, and honestly no other sport has other than baseball, is that romanticism about it. Well, it's, it comes in the dead time, I think.
1: Because baseball might be the easiest to describe. When the ball's put in play, it's pretty easy to describe swing and a line drive to left field. Swing and a drive deep to left center field. It one-hops the wall, splits the outfield. You get into the description of it. It's, you can visualize that in your head. And I think a lot of players can call the plays really well. Uh, What is the hardest thing to do about baseball is the everyday of it.
0: Yeah, it's a lot.
1: And the dead time. So you really have to be on top of your preparation. You really just have to have an ability to move the conversation along and uh, stay fluid the entire time. And I think it's the hardest to call, maybe the easiest to describe. I've heard a few people, a few broadcasters explain it that way, and I kind of agree with that.
0: So you're at Penn State, and you graduated from Penn State. Give me real quick just the cliff notes. I went from here to here to here to here to where you are now with Gardner-Webb.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, I graduated from Penn State. I was um, lucky enough to be one of the few, actually the only one at the time in my graduating class that had a job at the local ESPN radio affiliate there and was producing uh, and and co-hosting some talk shows, doing some play-by-play for high school sports and stuff. Uh, Kicked around, sticking around there, but realized there wasn't going to be a lot of room for growth at a small-town radio station. Uh, Moved home for the summer and applied to the whole world. Uh, Got a couple of part-time nibbles in different places, but ended up with uh, IMG College at the time. They then merged with Learfield, became Learfield IMG, and now the company is just known as Learfield. Um, but was at IMG College at the time as a studio host and producer. Took a chance on a, on a part-time job uh, down in North Carolina, a place I'd never really spent a whole lot of time before outside of driving through or a couple of visits. And you know the studio's in Winston-Salem, but I chose to live in Charlotte somewhat strategically because there were so many young broadcasters that were saturating that small market up there. Uh, that I didn't think I'd get play-by-play opportunities, which is the ultimate goal, and that job was just a, a studio host and producing job for different regional college networks around the country. And uh, I moved to Charlotte, partially strategic, but also because uh, a couple of friends of mine from college were living in Charlotte. Uh, committed to driving the hour 15, four days a week, roundabout, uh, and it was worth it, because uh, by chance I ended up at, you know, just kind of digging around, poking around, I should say, trying to find... Uh, play-by-play gigs. I ended up at Queens University in Charlotte uh, where I was for five years, two years part-time, three years full-time, kind of built the broadcasting department there. They were a Division II school at the time. Uh, They've now since transitioned to Division I. And then um, COVID kind of screwed up a lot for the world. Uh, But for me, it turned out to be, in the end, somewhat fortunate that uh, there was an open opportunity at Gardner-Webb. They were holding on hiring the position. Um, and they had already been recommended my name from some folks in the business a few months earlier. And then when they did have to hire the position, they moved quickly and I pounced. And that was in November of 2020, right as we were uh, coming back and starting to compete again, uh, post COVID. So I finished up three seasons at Gardner web going on year number four. And, uh, I'm proud of the broadcast program that we've built. I'm in charge of the whole operation, not just the play-by-play guy. And, uh, I, I can honestly say we've got great people there and a great thing going and, uh, it's honestly probably the best job I've had is as far as full-time work.
0: In regards to the play-by-play, what sports are you doing? You know, Which ones are you getting into the most?
1: Everything but hockey. We just don't have an ice hockey team. Exactly.
0: <laughs> which one's your favorite to call?
1: Oh, that's a tough I think baseball's my favorite. Okay, John Sterling Jr. Uh, <laughs> baseball's my favorite. College basketball. I, I, I specifically say college ball because... It's a little stylistically different than the NBA. Sure, um, but college, I think all collegiate sports are to an extent, but, but I, I have a different. That one feels a little more different uh, from the pro game than most, uh, as far as the the governing rules of the game and everything. Okay, um, college basketball. I have my most experience and my biggest experiences in um, the. I mean, I, I've probably done at this point probably a thousand college basketball games men's and women's because in division two it's all double headers they sure. play back to back yep that's a lot of people don't realize so you know most folks are doing an entry-level division one gig i was doing division two so i was doing twice as many games right, i was yeah. expediting my growth and they're um, a lot quicker too i mean those games no, aren't they long they move they yeah. move <laughs> they move isn't uh, a bad thing especially we played, when you're we played day. some when i was at queens we played some non-conference games uh, you know how media timeouts sit under 16, under 12, under 8, under 4 they were old school, there was no TV in the picture in Division 2 so it was <laughs> under 15, under 10 and under 5, there was one less media Okay. Uh, and I guess the NCAA rule basically requires that as a minimum and you can add under 16, 12 okay. 8, okay. 4, if there's television in the picture uh, and I think Division 1 you know, even in this world of streaming with the ESPN Plus it's not linear television, but everyone's kind of gone to that in Division Two, half the conferences in the country, like the CIAA or the MIAA in the Midwest, they've taken less media timeouts. Those games were over in 145, and those guys are, it's five guards. They go up and down the court. Up, oh, my God.
0: Just a Wild West shootout. Just I bing, mean, bing, uh, bing, regulation
1: bing. games that were finishing 135 to 125. Oh, my God. Um, no
0: one plays defense. It doesn't exist.
1: <laughs> no, we, they play defense. It's just they shoot so much. <laughs> they run up and down the court. Um, and so that, that actually really uh, helped me. Develop as a broadcaster, uh, it it helped me to be able to to keep up with the pace of the game. Where um, you know, I think some folks that doing radio as they come up through the levels, one of the things you always hear is, and you probably know this from hockey. You know, you go up from uh, the ECHL to the AHL, it's a little faster. Yeah, oh yeah. You go from the AHL to the NHL, it's a it's little a bit faster, faster, and you got to keep up. Exactly. Well, you go from Division Two to Division One, and it's slower. <laughs> so. <laughs> There's more
0: structure. There's a little bit more nuance to the game, right? Like that's the that's the professional way to put
1: that. No, no, that's no joke though. I mean, when I was at Queens, we were averaging eighty-six points per game. Yeah, right. At Gardner Webb, we averaged sixty-three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's twenty points per game less, but it's also like twenty possessions per game less. Uh,
0: I remember when I was in. So when I started my career, I started in basically single A pro hockey in Mississippi, and then I went to Austin, Minnesota, junior hockey. So I went from. Single A pro basically down to kids that are about college age. And my first year in Austin, the puck would just get tied up along the boards and just sit there. Like because these kids aren't the biggest kids in the world. There's and not Jones a lot. Jones kicks of, at it. And it's and just Smith kicks at it. <laughs> I, I remember like the first ten games so of, the, of that, that year. Well, I mean, it depends. In hockey, the idea is to keep with the flow of the game. So since most of the game is so back and forth and there's not a lot of time to interweave stories, when you do get the puck tied up in the corner, you obviously have to mention that it's tied up in the corner, it's being kicked at, whatever your verbiage is there. But that's when you use that opportunity to touch on a storyline. Reset. Yeah, exactly, to reset and and to control. But you have to be paying attention. You can't get caught up in a story because, let's say, it's in the offensive end and it's tied up in the corner. You can't get caught up in oh, one story. Out,
1: if it enters the slot, that could be a goal in two in seconds. In half
0: a second. So you gotta be careful with that kind of thing. But I remember how much of a adjustment it was. And I told a lot of people, I probably told you too. I, I, I remember just kinda thinking to myself too, like, all right, it's it's been did you ever sit a, at a light? That you're like this. Should have turned green like an hour ago. Like or, you just feel like like that's how you felt. If you're felt. in the south
1: like, and the light turns green and no one moves yeah. and it feels like you should have been moving an hour ago, exactly the same feeling.
0: But uh, it was nice to see that you know when I left Austin and came to Charlotte, things obviously were a little bit different because when you're talking the pro game, if it's tied up in the corner, some wrecking ball just comes in and you know blows the whole thing up. Then puck comes free and, and play boom on. goes
1: to dynamite. And
0: boom goes to dynamite. But you you glazed over. How we met in your career? You completely glazed over it. You talked well, you about. Started asking me other questions. No, nah, okay, fine. But we'll agreed to disagree. I'm not even diving into that. So, so okay, so,
1: all right, so where uh, no, were not, we along the line here? So you, we, I leave we, Penn you, State.
0: Yeah, you left Penn State. Le- then you went IMG. Then you went. Queens, I was at Queens. Gardner latched Web. on there. Built y- yeah, the program. Yeah, yeah you, you okay. completely glazed so over
1: after my first year in Charlotte. There we go. After my first year in Charlotte, I was still part-time a bunch of different places, and I, obviously a big baseball fan, was looking at minor league baseball opportunities, and I got an opportunity uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. See, I didn't know you were already in Charlotte at that point. I was already in Charlotte for about eight months. I
0: remember you playing me some... uh you know, some of your demos Mm -hmm. and some of your sports center updates and different things that you were doing to try and advance your career. But I didn't put two and two together at that point or at any point since Mm -hmm.
1: that you were already down here. I was down here for eight months. uh, And then that opportunity with Lehigh Valley opened up and I got offered the gig. It was a part-time gig as a studio host and producer, very similar to what I was doing with Learfield IMG, but for AAA baseball. Uh, I think I wanted more of a play-by-play gig. I applied to probably 20, 30 different minor league baseball jobs and got a bunch of interviews. That was the only offer I got. And so my thought process was, well, you know what? Number one, it's in the eye nothing else. You might as well take it. And number two, well, you'll probably get some fill-in play-by-play reps, which I did. And it's a step below the bigs. Take it. That wasn't a lot of money. But for the summer, uh, got an Airbnb and was living in the upstairs of like an old-school three-story... I don't even know how to describe the the architecture of it. Very Allentown, <laughs> very northeast, yeah. very uh,
0: nineteen or I should say like eighteen hundreds. Like yeah, yeah. Very it, very much. The rent. house that
1: I was living in, yeah. the lady who owned it, her dad built it in the nineteen twenties. Yeah, he built exactly. the house exactly. Um, and I was there for the summer, and so my every day was to for home games to go to the stadium, and be there for batting practice infield, interview a player for the pregame show, prepare by pregame show and then at about 5.30 for a 7 o'clock game, leave and drive about 20 minutes over to Easton, a little closer to the uh, Pennsylvania-New Jersey border to the studio, ESPN of the Lehigh Valley was the, uh, was the station that had the rights um, and I would sit in the studio, host the pregame show and studio host the game and the postgame show And that's what I did. Outside of the few times that I filled in and did play-by-play, I did pretty much every single game doing that. I used to joke with the people, with the lady that I was uh, renting the room from. uh, She's like, oh, you work for the Iron Pigs. I'd love to get to a game out there. And I said, well, great. I've never been to one. I leave before all the games.
0: And I say that to
1: everybody who gets a Zamboni ride.
0: I've never been on a Zamboni in my career because well, I'm always working. How are you going to be available in intermission? Uh, that's that's exactly And you right. move like a refrigerator. Post game. Yeah, I'm very slow. Look, look, you know you know that whole gag, like you don't have to be the fastest guy. You just have to be fast and the slowest guy. Like if the lion's chasing you or something <laughs> like that, I'm that slowest guy. But uh, honestly, those um, th- that one year uh is where we ended up crossing. paths so this is the summer of 2016. Thank you cuz I'm terrible with dates. I'm You're awful, getting old awful.
1: Uh it's true. But you were working with um Tom Fallon and Matt Marcus uh who were hosting the afternoon show there, I think from 4 to 7.
0: 4 to 7 traditionally. Uh
1: but the days that we had games, they would cut it off at 6:30 and um you worked a bunch of those of those uh Broadcast as the producer running the board, occasionally in front of a microphone, but mostly pressing buttons.
0: Mostly pressing buttons. I'd have a couple of weak, little,
1: small on-air parts, and um, I think it started with one day. You know, we were just talking, and you you'd made a comment to me like, you know, you do a good job, like on the shows. Can I stay in and shadow you? I think you stayed for a couple of the games, uh, and that was how you and I met, and that's how you and I became friends, and. So you stuck around, and I think there were a few times where um, I missed a game or two. I drove home to New York. It was only a couple hours away, and you filled in for me.
0: And I did do I did board up and uh, do one game that you were on play-by-play yes, for part of Yes, I it believe too. so. Yeah, one of those fill-in gigs for you.
1: And at some point, I think you described this part better than me, but at some point, uh, you were mentioning your broadcast dreams. I think at the time you were working at the car dealership. And um, I said to you, have you ever thought of doing play by play? That is you know,
0: exactly what you said to me. Exactly how you said it, because you,
1: it was, you wanted to do it. You'd mentioned that it was, you know, being at the live events was going to be uh, a thrill beyond being in the studio. And right. It's something that sort of captivated you. Yeah. And I said to you, well, have you ever thought of doing games? Like, why are you pent up here in a studio?
0: And at that point in my career, I was just so happy to be pushing buttons. You know what I mean? Because you got to look at, I, I was still at the car dealership at that time. And anybody who's worked in any kind of heavy sales like that, especially the hours we were working, I mean, they're 12 hour days, nine to nine, occasionally a nine to six. Uh, it's, there's not a lot that's enjoyable and redeeming about that. So when I got the job at ESPN radio, the Lehigh Valley, that coincidentally landed on days that I was off from the dealership I'm like this is great like I'm not getting paid a lot but I'm hanging out you know guys are talking sports it's a lot of fun and even then I was just like you know what if I could somehow make this board op job my full-time job and pay my bills I'd be so happy and I think that's when you were like well what about play by play and I was kind of like yeah that'd be cool but i don't know what to do like i don't know where to start and you literally mapped it out for me what i need to do get a demo you told me to don't go to the iron pigs they're too busy they've got way too much going on don't ask them ask redding so the redding fight and fills i said that oh yeah absolutely wow absolutely i'm smart i know you are (laughs) literally so uh, that's exactly what you told me you were like you need to get a demo that's the first thing you need to do Get a demo. I'm like, well, how do I do that? I was like, can I just go to the Iron Pigs because it's in the same town? You're like, no, they're too busy. They're not going to have room in the press box. Reach out to Redding. So I reached out to Redding. Mike Ventola was there, who's now with the, uh, the Iron Pigs. Um, but him and um, the media relations manager got me set up. I recorded a demo terribly because I knew nothing about microphones, sound cards, computers. I, I didn't know how to record into my computer. Like, I'm 99% sure if I could find that demo. It was literally just the webcam microphone that was picking me up. And I sounded like I was underwater. It was terrible. You didn't terrible. have a studio mic like this? I did not have a beautiful. This is a nice Shure SM7B. It's golden. It's great. I did not have that. Wow. Um, but yeah, then uh, I took that. And one thing led to another, but that's when I started talking to you and getting to know you and your passions. That's when I started to realize, okay, no, this is this is a stepping stone to something much bigger, you know, because I wanted to shout at you. I wanted to hang out with you. I mean, just hanging out in the studio, talking to you, hearing about what we, I didn't go to school for this. You know, I didn't have Learfield. I didn't have any. I, I literally just had some sports center updates, traffic and weather on the 15s. Like that. that's all I had. But. I was thankful because not only did you show me the way to take my next step, but also you entrusted me, the studio, for those games when you couldn't be there. Well, and you got to
1: give my boss a little credit for letting me hand it over to TJ Shalott. That's fair. I did ask them first. Yes, that's eh, fair. We like TJ. We'll give him a shot. He that's, does the show. We figure he knows the board.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, Matt and John were the guys at the time, right? Matt, Provins yeah, Matt and John, John Schaefer. Yeah, two um, great guys. Fantastic. And yeah, I, and I remember actually... One of the things that I think, because obviously I went from there to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms internship and then began a career in hockey. And I remember my interview with the Phantoms was a rain delay game that I was covering for you where the game, they didn't cancel the game, but the game didn't start until about nine thirty, ten o'clock. So Matt and I were forced to just fill time. Like we were just filling hours. I left just, you that game? Yeah.
1: Wow! I Lucky mean, you.
0: C- canned interviews, the whole nine. That's like free airtime. I was texting you the whole time, like, "Hey, where can I find more interviews?" You know, Matt Province and I were like, "Okay, well, let's play this interview. Let's play that interview." That helped me di- directly help me get my Lehigh Valley Phantoms internship because when I was sitting in that interview with them, they were like, "Oh yeah, I remember that game." I was every I kept flipping back, and the game still hadn't started. Still hadn't started. So, all that. I'm I'm here because of you. I mean, you—you you got it's me. It's funny. We,
1: it, it really is funny, though, in our business. Everyone's got those kind of stories, and you know, I find myself as I get a little older and and further along in the business, get the chance to do some big assignments, and look around and think like, I was doing. I mean, when I was in college, my last year of college, I was doing State College high school baseball, high school baseball on the radio. So they played most of their road games about ninety minutes away in the Harrisburg area, and this was for the ESPN affiliate in State College, Pennsylvania. And the booster club of the school paid to put their games on the radio because they mostly played at 4 o'clock. Most other schools did not have lights. They couldn't play later. And most parents couldn't get to 4 o'clock games, especially if they were 90 minutes away. Yeah, That's smart business. But I would bring, oftentimes by myself, sometimes I'd get an analyst, some young college kid, even younger and less experienced than I was, and I was a senior in college, I would have to carry my own table and chairs mm-hmm. and we had a setup where it rigged a mixer through a cell phone yeah and we sent the signal back to uh the studio in state college and that was where i started doing games i actually remember one day um one day on the phone with my mom i was driving by myself in this on the side of this hill what's the road going down to harrisburg 3d three, 321 or oh 322. Three, 322 322 something like that yeah and uh, I'm riding on 322 from Harrisburg back to State College and beautiful view. I'm kind of on the side of a mountain a river down to my left. I'm on the phone with my mother. And I said, my, you know, one day this is all going to pay off. We're going to think about, we're literally going to think about this moment, driving back from calling a terrible 15 to 1 final score, State College high school baseball game versus Central Dolphin or yeah, you yeah, name yeah. it school. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I still think about that occasionally now uh being in division one doing some of the network stuff i've done being in a position where i'm fortunate to be in I, there was a day when i was 21 years old calling driving by myself 90 minutes and lugging my own gear to sit behind the backstop i mean like literally behind a chain link backstop where the batter the catcher the umpire can hear every word you're saying yeah. every parent surrounding you can hear every word you're saying and then fast forward and you know about ten years or so, a little less than that, and you're sitting at the NCAA tournament. It's like, whoa, that's a different like, like, and that that was. You look back and you're, wow, uh-huh. we we all cut our teeth somehow, I guess.
0: You have to, right? And I mean, no matter what the industry is, but I think ours is just unique because the stories, mm-hmm. they do exist. And I, I'm glad you brought up the network stuff, and I'm glad that you brought up, you know, the NCAA tournament. I want to talk to you about your big marquee games. When you look at your career, it's not that. Old, You know, it's not that long that you've been doing this in the grand scheme of life. You know, you haven't been doing it for 40 years or anything along those lines. When you look back at your career so far, what are some of those marquee games or events or things that really make you feel the most proud and go, holy sh! I did that? Like, what do you got?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, for most people that know me, they point to the Westwood One assignment and the uh, women's NCAA tournament in 2022. That's the biggest assignment. Um, I interned at Westwood One. Uh, It never actually means you're going to be on the air with them. It's a production internship. It was after my sophomore year of college at um, the CBS Broadcast Center in New York when they were were still renting studio space from CBS uh, up on West 57th Street. Uh, And I used that relationship to nine years later, um, after I developed and cultivated the tapes at their tutelage, when there was an opportunity, uh, got an opportunity to do uh, the women's tournament, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight um last year 2022 um that's the biggest one on paper uh, if you look at it and i think that's what everyone talks to i, I so many people still to this day um people in the business that are friends of ours uh young kids breaking into the business they ask me about that assignment um because that's a really hard one to get it's uh, big if, you, time. if you know anything about <laughs> don't use that word big time you know you're big time i'm not big time uh, but if you know anything about how Westwood One operates, it, it is a really old-school radio network that uh, they want the best people. For sure. They don't cut corners. There, there's a reason why their reputation is what it is. Uh, and, and I was fortunate and lucky and forever thankful to, to get that opportunity uh, to Howie off, the executive producer there, and, and all the other guys, Brian Finkelstein, Bob Bender, all the guys that had Larry Costigan, all the guys that tutored me, some of whom are still there, uh, some of whom are, are no longer there, uh, at least full-time, uh, that, that I worked with. Um, when I was an intern that, that coached me to this day. Um, But for me, if I'm being completely honest and, and and I don't mean this to, to patronize you or anything. um, No joke. What actually makes me the most thrilled is watching people like you. I'm serious about that. Um, You remember when you got to Charlotte,
0: I do. It wasn't that long ago.
1: I made sure I was at your first game. I wasn't missing your first game. And I was I up there that. I was up there in the catwalk, that's right, with T.J. Shalott listening to him call his first goal, watching his fist pump as he called it, because every hockey guy goes score, and they go like that. I was going to be there. I wasn't missing that. Um, and I have found over time, it's the people that I've helped nudge into broadcasting that I almost enjoy their successes in some ways more than I enjoy mine. Um, I think that comes from both
0: your parents being teachers. I think you just well, there's a lot
1: of teaching in what I do every day at Gardner Webb. I'm not a, an instructor there, but there's right. a lot of coaching of uh, from behind the scenes to
0: because you're relying uh, on, on a student base, to, student, to yeah. help you, you know, get the broadcast yeah. off the ground. So
1: and you've 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 seen the crew there, yeah, um, right. So you know you know what I'm working with, uh, but I wasn't going to miss that game, and and I still annoyingly get AHL TV subscription emails because I signed up for some free trial when you first got there to listen to your first road game.
0: The unsubscribe button does exist.
1: Yeah, and somehow they still come. Those emails still come flying in. All right. Uh, the There's another one. Uh, you, you, you've heard me uh, mention, I don't know if you've met her at all, my friend Sarah Jansen, who uh, was a college basketball coach. we were uh, She was the head coach at Queens when I was there. We became really close friends. Um, and it's actually while she was at Queens that um, when the men's team was hosting the regional, D2, the top seed, hosts the regional – Uh, I convinced her to do some of the men's games with me. And she had a natural ability. Uh, And since she's been out of coaching now, since uh, I've been at Gardner-Webb, I said, why don't you come do games with me? And have kind of coached her up into a position where now she gets assignments through these big-time packagers, like Tupelo Honey. And, you know, I I remember last year she got the Big South Championships uh, for basketball. They were at Bojangles Coliseum. and. I made sure I was listening to every second of that first game. I was walking around the house. We, uh, we weren't Gardner Webb wasn't playing until the the next day, and I had I wasn't missing those games. Um, I was as proud of her success, similar to you, um, uh, as I've ever been of anything of mine. And so I, I genuinely believe that. I, I genuinely enjoy that uh, about being in this business. So.
0: I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable though. We're going to talk oh, okay. about you. Okay. What else you got? I mean, obviously, calling yeah, calling the NCAA tournament for the women is huge.
1: Yeah. I what mean, about
0: some of the lesser fanfare, marquee type games that you just always think about that you remember? I can think of five or six games in my career where I'm just like, man, there there was something special about that game, about that atmosphere, but it wasn't okay, anything so, major. So it wasn't a championship or something.
1: There are games that I remember because you know. I'd never heard of Queens University of Charlotte before I got down here. I didn't once either. I, once I got into it, I was invested in every little bit. I was the biggest D2 basketball junkie out there. Um, so there, there are moments that you remember that almost make you tear up because when you're a part of the team and you see the struggle every day um, and then eventually you see that struggle turn into success, you feel ownership of it as well, even as the broadcaster. So... uh at Queens, in our conference, the South Atlantic Conference at the time, the powerhouse was Lincoln Memorial. Queens was just building back up. And we could not beat Lincoln Memorial. And then finally we did. And when we beat them, we beat them in the regional championship game. And in Division Two, it's a true regional championship. We beat them in the Sweet 16 game at their place when they were 32-1 and in and the number one ranked team in the country to get to the D2 Elite Eight, which is really like the Final Four. It's a little bit different setup at the tournament in Division Two, But if you get to the Elite Eight, you won your region and it's a big deal. We had lost to them three times in the regular season. Two times in the regular season, traditional games, and one time in the conference championship game. They were the only team we'd lost to all year. We had three losses. And we held them 40 points under their season scoring average and we beat them by 12 and it was never close in the second half. That moment of breaking through in that game against them, getting to the Elite Eight, we eventually went to the Final Four, we won our first game against Cal Baptist, That kind of moment is the kind of moment that's fulfilling. Those are the kind of moments that stand out. People ask me my favorite moment that I was ever in attendance for as a sports fan. And I think to this day, that's my favorite moment. And it was a professional moment. Um, Very similarly, um, this past year at Gardner-Webb, we won two championships. Uh, Well, we won three total champions, but two uh, marquee teams that stand out. Football, won the Big South, and... That scene of it happened to fall where we were playing North Carolina A&T on the final day of the regular season at home, and they were able to bill it as a winner-take-all Big South championship game because the winner was winning the conference title. The winner was going to go undefeated. And we beat A&T. We pull away from them in the second half. And the scene on the field, I'm standing up there in the box trying to call this game. Now, keep in mind, I'm also doing it on ESPN Plus on TV, so I'm supposed to be objective. I can't lean one way or the other. And I'm fighting back tears because you put three years into a program and you go through the struggle, a program that historically had not been that good, a uh, new coach, Trey Lamb comes in and, and it's so many close calls and so many close losses, close losses to FBS teams, brand names that, that people would know of like Coastal Carolina and Liberty. You, you just are waiting for that breakthrough. And then to finally put it together and rattle off six straight wins or five straight wins, I guess, or 16 league and win the conference, um, that celebration on the field is something fulfilling. Uh, similar to our women's basketball team, went 21-0, and Big South Conference record um, this past year. No team had ever won that many consecutive games unbeaten in the history of the conference. Uh, to close it off at Bojangles, on the floor at Bojangles Coliseum, and, and win it in style and complete an undefeated season for a program that had so many close losses and was kind of knocking on the door, being upper echelon in the league for a few years, um, and, and they couldn't break through, and now they finally did. They put it all together this year, and they put it all together in a historic way. Uh, those are the moments that stand out. That's the first part of it. But I also think for me, I think what stands out after the fact is the calls, if that makes sense. Yeah. There, well, of there are certain lines that you never forget. Yep. Um, and, and I'll specifically, I think this is the greatest line of broadcasting I've ever uttered, any broadcast I've ever done. Um, Big South Football Championship, we're letting it breathe. They're all celebrating on the field. We had a camera shot of an offensive lineman holding up his uh, hand. Ring me, ring me, right? Uh, we had another. Where was the
0: camera shot? Was was I running the camera? Is you, the might question. you were there that day. I was there, there that, that day. day. I was in the scaffold uh. in the end zone. I was in. I was camera four, for anyone so who thinks I would have been on your right.
1: If anyone who thinks he's big time, TJ Shalott I went from that camera. game and
0: blitzed from Boiling Springs here because we had a game at Bojangles <laughs> and then ran up to the press box. I, I was there plenty of time. You think,
1: you think broadcasting's flattering? TJ Shalott was running a camera for the Big South Football Championship game this year. Why uh, not? But but we're 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 seeing these camera shots, um, and we're seeing uh, the celebration, and I want to cry. We're letting it breathe, and I remember moments, but not just my call. I think I remember the teamwork of it. Uh, Mark Covert, my analyst, he knew that it was their moment, and he just shut up. And not every analyst I've worked with would do that. And we let it breathe. And then as the camera shots show the celebration and. This euphoric look on uh this one defensive lineman sitting on his helmet just going, Wow wow, looking look wow and i, I uttered the lines something along the, uh, something along the lines of uh, I think sometimes we lose sight of what college football means to the smaller schools know, to some of those a, in the f c s good point, point. and then it's I really said, good point, you're looking at it, and mark uttered. Yep. And it was like, I, I thought that line isn't the same without his punctuation on it.
0: Yeah, because this is a guy that I played the, D2 sports, right? He I mean, played
1: at Catawba College, so he knows what the struggle is. He knows what small college football that is.
0: That comment, even one syllable, doesn't have the same meaning if it's coming from a former NFL guy or a former Division One guy.
1: But, but it was something about, yes, I felt my call was the best line I'd ever uttered, but there was something of the teamwork of it the way he laid out, and then the way he just punctuated it. Emotion. And and so I remember those moments, too. There are games that stand out. There are achievements that stand out. Some of the teams you worked with, you, you become embedded. You know the deal. You become mm-hmm. embedded with them. You're part of the team. But also, I think you remember the moments that the crew had. Yeah. yeah that yeah, were yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in my case, doing a lot of TV um, and being in charge of the crew as well at Gardner-Webb. I really remember when the crew puts it all together, and in that game, and it was more than just the talent. You know, you joked about being on camera. The camera shots that game, the execution from uh, the producer and the director, the end of that broadcast was flawless. They nailed it. I can't tell you how many text messages I got about it, and it was it was that it was the call of of that moment of everything together, the production, the teamwork of it, where I was just like that's a moment I'm going to I'm gonna remember forever.
0: Well, I think when people, you know, when they hear the title director of broadcasting and you tell them, you know, yeah, I do play-by-play for Gardner-Webb, or in my case, I'm director of broadcasting for the Charlotte Checkers, like, yeah, okay, I do play-by-play for the Charlotte Ch-. What they forget about is director of broadcasting is this umbrella.
1: Mm-hmm. You've
0: got to make sure, in your case, the camera people show up, you got to make sure the camera people know what they're doing, you got to make sure the director's on his game, make sure the replay's going right, timeout coordinators, and this is just football. You know, in my case, as director of broadcasting for the checkers I got to make sure do I have my commercials all loaded do Mm -hmm. I know what's going on with my intermissions do I have my intern who's going to be helping me out that night do we have connection with AHL TV what's going on where the you know what what is just the process and I think people forget about that because when you think about play by play you think about if you're if you're a normal person I say normal person someone outside the industry when you think about play by play you think about the Joe Bucks the Troy Aikmans and they just show up and they do the game, and they get paid for it, and they're great at it. I have
1: a thought. It's funny. I was actually telling this story at the office earlier today. No no joke. I was telling this story at the office today. Uh, You've been to those broadcasts, so you see how much I do on the average football TV broadcast.
0: Look, I am absolutely utterly amazed at how much you do before I'm in a the broadcast. talk back button
1: a lot. A lot.
0: When yeah. I think about my time in Austin where I was the only front office member and I'm worried about people getting in with tickets and admission and all this other stuff, I couldn't have great broadcasts because my mind is in 85 different directions. Like, I needed to take time 15 minutes before the broadcast just to Okay, now let's go into it. You need to do that for at least like three <laughs> hours before the game with all the stuff and you then, have. And then I and change my don't. clothes
1: like Superman and I sprint it's to the camera. It's unreal. <laughs> you
0: throw on the blazer, you throw on the shirt, you put a little bit of that oil in your hair, and boom, and you're in front you think of a camera. Back, slick? <laughs> nice, good callback. But it it back, Slick? Nice. Good But ama- that is by far the number one attribute when I think of Phil Constantino. That's what I think of is how excellent your play-by-play is with your mind on 5 million other things, because I am not that way. When it comes time for the broadcast, I have to focus on the broadcast. Otherwise, if I don't, I'm going to sound like a high school kid. Like, I, I it amazes me. I just want to throw that Well, out
1: there. thank you. The The funny thing about it, so I was telling this story at the office today. I'm so used to doing everything. So I, I, I do TV at home, uh, and I do the radio on the road games at Gardner-Webb. And even on the road, I'm worried about my own equipment and interviews and getting them edited and commercial log and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I enjoy road games more than anything because I can focus on the game the most. It's me, my analyst, my mixer, my game, a lot less moving parts, but even still, I'm worried about things. So uh, at the uh, NCAA tournament in Wichita with Westwood one in 2022, I'll never forget this. Uh, Louisville wins the elite eight game. They're going to the final four, finish the call, big celebration, confetti everywhere. Uh, stadium was probably seven eighths Louisville fans. They're going nuts. And we have our post game interview and, uh, Chelsea hall was kind of the unsung hero, had a big game, hit a, hit like five threes 15 or 18 points. Uh, so we interviewed Chelsea hall after the game, I guess Haley van Lith goes to TV and we get Chelsea hall. And, uh, I asked her, the first question I asked her was something about, because as she came over, she was cheering up, pumping up the crowd, the Louisville fans sitting right behind us. So I asked her about the crowd and the fans that she was pumping up as she came over. And she goes, yeah, and starts yelling into the mic. Now, what would your reaction be? Which was my reaction. First thing I'm thinking when I'm running my own mixer, oh geez, I gotta turn that down. Exactly. That's loud. That's gonna ex- pin the that's yeah, gonna yeah. buzz. Yep. I gotta turn that down. Hey, you're gonna max something out. And I, I I remember this. I'll never forget this. I reached out my hand because my reaction was to turn it down. And then I realized
0: there's nothing there.
1: Oh. There's just a talk back box there. Uh it's Dan a- Robotham sitting two seats away from me controls that. And his job is to handle that. Uh, and, and I'm just, I just need to keep talking. <laughs> and that's, and that's what I did. And um, when you get to that level, it makes you appreciate all the other little things you have to worry about because you, you didn't have to worry about it uh, in that moment, at least specifically.
0: Do you ever think about, you know, l- l- the future, obviously everybody thinks about the future, but do you ever think about in your next steps, you know, let's say network is for Phil next, whether that's tomorrow or in 25 years, mm-hmm. do you ever think you're going to struggle with that even more? After going 150 miles an hour, slowing down to just kind of 20.
1: You know what's funny? Uh, I actually talked about this with someone the other day. That was such a learning experience for me about how to. I don't have to do it all. Um, I don't have to be a professional, Um, or how to be a professional, I should say. I don't have to be a a everything. I don't have to do everything myself. Um, I can use my teammates. They're there for a reason. So. for example, so network debut, sweet sixteen game, first game. Uh, it is Louisville versus Tennessee. Okay. Uh, Louisville scores the first basket of the game. They take a two nothing lead. I call that on the air. Layup, two nothing lead. A couple possessions go by, no score. I go to reset the, the score and the uh and the time on the clock. So it's about seven and a half minutes first quarter, two nothing Louisville. And I'm reading the scoreboard and it says two nothing Tennessee. And I said that over the air. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at Andy Garcia, uh, my producer, and I looked at him, and he just says in, the, in my headset, just correct it. I corrected it, and I'm pointing at the scoreboard. What's going on here? Right? I gave it to the wrong team. Now, if that ever happened at Gardner-Webb or that ever happened when I was at Queens, you'd have coaches on the benches yelling, have they, they, the wrong scores are yep. the wrong. Yep. Right? They'd yep. be all over that. I'm looking at the benches. So the minute I say that, that's my reaction. I'm looking at the benches, and they're not reacting at all. And I'm like, Did I screw this? Like, what happened here? So now it gets to six four, and they still have the score flipped. Louisville's up six four. They have Tennessee leading six four. And now I'm trying to network debut, big moment. Everyone's—I know a lot of people that are listening to these games because this is my big debut. And uh, I keep looking over at Andy, and I'm like, what is going at the NCAA tournament? What is going? Am I the one? Am I seeing things? Yeah, but you're second guessing yourself, right? right? Like, and. so eventually, it gets to the end of the first quarter, and every scoreboard in the arena goes blank. They turn oh, it man. off. Someone realized they were wrong. Something was programmed incorrectly. And I literally go like this: "Like, what do I do? What do I, what do I do?" Um, and then during one of the breaks, Andy says to me, "Use the TV. Use the bug. Use use the TV monitor." Um, and at some point, I guess the graphics from the TV broadcast dropped from doing it manually and, and the, or dropped from, from character generation and went to doing it manually so that they were accurate.
0: And for people like who don't know what that means, a lot of the score bugs that you see when you're watching yeah. TV just the pull, data comes they pull it directly from the, scoreboard. From the yeah. scoreboard. So they also have the ability to override it and they yeah, can, they can yeah, do it manually. Exactly.
1: Right. And so, um, I but it wasn't a natural reaction for me doing radio to look at the monitor. I usually don't have a monitor when I'm doing radio. When I'm doing television, I have a monitor. And it's really hard. I I go back and forth from radio to TV all the time. That's not easy to do. uh, But part of it is that allows your brain to get to that point to be able to call a game like radio or call a game like TV is whether you're looking at a monitor or not.
0: If you're watching a TV, you can call the game like a TV. You can call it like a TV.
1: Exactly. And so the monitor is off to my right. Kristen Kozlowski, my analyst, is sitting to my right. And then on the right side of her, is uh, Clay, our stats guy. And here's where I had to learn how to be a professional. I'm trying to do it all myself. I'm used to doing it all myself. What I should have done is Clay, switch seats, slide over here, manually keep the score. And instead, I'm trying to look at the TV monitor. I'm trying to do it in my head. Andy's trying to help me. Had I had more experience... Had I had more experience where I'm not worried about trying to do everything myself and convinced that I'm the greatest one-man show of all time, um, I would have learned how to use my teammates better. And I, I screwed up. I genuinely uh, – that was that was an unfortunate setting to be in as my network debut, but it was also um, – the greatest learning experience in the world. Because I talked to a bunch of guys at Westwood One afterwards. They said, you should have your stats guy right away. That should have been your first reaction. I never used a stats guy. Right, yeah. I never have a stats guy. You're not used the to The only that. time I have a stats guy is when I'm doing football on TV. Uh, Mojo, who you and I know, is a really good stats guy uh, who does it for me. Uh, but even still, I've done some football games without a stats guy, which is kind of hard to do, but I've learned to do it. So now I have to learn how to use my – and I said, you know, I've been in some of the worst Division Two venues of all time. That would never happen. That would never happen at Newberry College, right? That that would never happen at Tusculum University, places you've probably never heard of. But it happened in the NCAA tournament. It happened in the Sweet 16 in a nationally televised game.
0: If the Superdome can lose power during a Super then Bowl, then it can happen it anywhere. It can happen anywhere.
1: And, and so it was unfortunate, but it also taught me everything. And it taught me um, that... Uh, I have to be a professional and it taught me how to use my teammates. Uh, and so whenever it is that the next time that I get back to, to doing network stuff, uh, whether it's regular stuff or, or uh, individual, you know, one-off assignments like that, I know that I'm so much more prepared now as a professional. So that's a long-winded story of how to answer your question and say, I maybe learned the hard way there, but that kind of thing won't happen to me again. Um, doing everything, of anything, When I do dial back focusing on and just start focusing on one thing, it'll be that much better. Well, we're two broadcasters. If it's not
0: long-winded, we're not doing our jobs right, to be honest with you. Is
1: this going to be the longest podcast you've had yet? No, no,
0: no, no, no. But no.
1: I don't shut up. You
0: bring up a good point, though. talk for a living. I think, you know, look, we're we're in – we both do. We're we're in this industry, right, because a little bit, you know – we want to get out there we want to we want to, our ego we need a little bit of, of something we like doing that we like when our calls get tweeted out or absolutely i mean i think everyone i don't know what the term is now for that what is that thread the the new instagram version of twitter that's a thing oh yeah it's a oh. big thing people are leaving twitter in mass we'll, we'll talk we'll talk
1: anywho oh, i i hate social media twitter sparingly i try to stay off it go ahead
0: We forget, you know, look, the broadcasters, you know, I I just watched the movie again for the millionth time, Miracle, and everybody remembers Al Michaels' call. Mm -hmm. You know, do you believe Miracles? Yes, blah, 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 blah. If that, you know, an iconic moment like that, which happens in sports quite frequently, we always remember, okay, Al Michaels, he was the one who said it. Maybe you remember Ken Dryden as the color analyst, but Mm -hmm. you don't know who the camera guy is. You don't know who the director is. There's so many unsung heroes out there. Who are controlling that broadcast and really making because it's it's you know it's like a car it's like a human body like all of the parts have to be working together in order for it to to function properly. I and hate to say it, but oftentimes, get
1: oftentimes, and this was the case for me with that Westwood One assignment, the play-by-play guy is the last person staffed and the most replaceable of anyone there, which is crazy. Yeah,
0: huh. I mean because it's. As technical and as important of a position as it is, there's a lot more people out there who are doing it. And are there, good at it. There's a lot fewer, you know, expert replay techs. There's a lot fewer directors who know how to do sports. and Or, or even if you switch to, like, concerts or other different type of TV, you, you really have to know what you're doing. and. You don't learn about that in college. You learn about that when you finally get out there. Or in your case, when you're thrown into it, it's like, hey, Phil, guess what? Now you're the director. You've got to make sure everything's going. I mean, how many times do you opt to come off the mic and let somebody else jump out so that way you can fill a need because you don't have anyone else who who has necessarily the skills to be a director or a producer or whatever? That was
1: the premise of the job at Gardner-Webb. I think a lot of people... You know, looking back on that, everyone was giving me congratulations. Big assignment, Division One director of broadcasting. That's a good gig to get. Um, but I actually, my first bunch of games at Gardner Webb, I didn't, I wasn't on the air at all. Um, I told him, I'm going to get in here and I'm gonna, I'm going to run the program. And once I run the program and I get it built up, then I'm going to be on the air. How long did that take you? Uh, a couple months yeah. to get someone to a position where I could trust them. But even still, the quality of the broadcasts weren't great. Now. I mean, I, I go out on the road with our basketball team or football team and I leave people behind to run the shows. Um, I don't have to worry about that. I've got a, a good stable and you know a lot of those guys, a good stable of, of people that are that are really good. And um but I had to earn it the same way that I kind of built a sports network and a streaming operation that wasn't there at Queens, you know, at Gardner Webb, I had to prove that I could be on the air and run the whole show. Um, And ultimately, I I think I was able to do that somewhat successfully.
0: Where are you learning this stuff? You know, when you first got hired at Gardner-Webb and you had to learn it, I mean, obviously, getting your hands on stuff and plugging things in and figuring out what works and what doesn't is one thing. But where did you pick up the technical knowledge?
1: I have one guy. Changed my life. I don't know that he realizes how important he was to my life. He's a good friend to me to this day. And he still works on me, uh, works on broadcasts uh, for me at Gardner Web occasionally. And his name is Tim Dixon. Tim Dixon, when I was at Queens, was the media services team lead on campus, ran all audio visual for campus side. Um, there was not a very good, I, I kind of latched on at Queens doing these uh, one camera um, web streams where the quality was just awful. The SID was setting up the camera. And it, that was when I first emailed about doing games, got asked to do some games and and uh was doing games there and in 2017 uh my second year part time there uh, i built a relationship with our head coach uh who's now the head coach at milwaukee bart lundy he's a good friend to this day and um we were probably gonna end up hosting the regional we were one of the top 10 teams in the country and i said to him we need to build out a sports network um, we, we can't put that broadcast out in front of the region and, and this is a part-timer looking for opportunity looking for a chance you know we we need to build multiple cameras we need to try and find graphics replay this is this one camera is crap it's not even focused half the time right and um i mentioned it to him and then i uh brought it to the athletic director and uh, sherry and she said get with tim dixon He's on campus, he spent 20 years working in television. Uh, he can help you. And that was the beginning of me learning the basics of very elementary video streaming. And it's been over the years of just learning increased knowledge, of a lot of studying on my own if this is how it's done on national TV. This is what looks good. This is what looks bad. Trial and error. But that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of learning the basics of engineering. I wouldn't say I'm an engineer, but I know workflows of how things get to where. Um, that was the basics of how do you broadcast on a small budget at our level. It's so it's kind so of tough. A lean broadcast. And, and then when I got to Gardner Web, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of equipment that I didn't know. That was kind of the next level. Uh, and I had to learn through trial and error. I give credit to uh, my predecessor who spent uh, hours on the phone, didn't have to on video calls with me going over things. Uh, and then from there, you kind of use that to get on some TV crews and kind of see you know, so if I'm the timeout coordinator, I'm listening to producer communication i'm 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 picking the brain during the breaks of you know whatever baseball tournament we're doing. I'm picking the break, uh, picking the brain during the breaks of the director and all, and that's kind of how I learned the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I, I can honestly say that yes, I, I've been fortunate enough to do some high-level play-by-play. Play-by-play is the thing that I'm most comfortable doing, but I've worked on television crews as talent stats and official stats and timeout coordinator for things including the NFL. Um, I, I, I can honestly, for maybe mid-to-entry level. Um, Linear television broadcasts, probably capable enough to run certain graphics softwares, uh, certain uh, score bug operating systems, certain replay operations, and could even produce and direct uh, comfortably those things, because I do it all the time on a streaming platform. When I'm not on the air, I'm on the air for football. I'm on the air for men's basketball. I'm on the air for most women's basketball and most baseball. Uh, All those other sports, though, I'm producing them typically myself, hands-on, or even for the sports that I'm on the air, I'm going back and kind of post-producing with everybody. This is what this is the coaching of what we should be doing. Um, so I've kind of prided myself on being a versatile guy. I think it's made me a better broadcaster. When you learn how everything operates, you can anticipate things better behind the scenes. When you start to think like a producer, you can anticipate what your producer is going to say. Um, so I've, I've learned those things from working behind the scenes, and, and uh, it's a lot most broadcasters – most on-air guys, I don't think learn those things. Uh, I don't want to do those things forever, I guess. Uh, but those are things that have made me a better broadcaster.
0: It's incredible because you know, how do you explain that on a resume, right? Like you, I don't. Mean, you don't, you don't, you don't, you just you sink or swim, <laughs> and, and you just you, you hope that it kind of that it kind of. I've had out. some
1: guys, I've had some guys who have uh, worked on uh, some friends that you and I know that, that have worked on uh, helping me compile tapes. And they're all like, I want to be able to tell this coordinating producer with a little footnote, ran the whole show, imagine what he'll be without it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. When you look at all that stuff that you're doing, I mean, what is your
1: favorite part? Being on the air, is is, calling the games is my favorite part. Uh, Being the voice to a moment is my favorite part. Um, but I've genuinely learned to enjoy producing as well if I have to be behind the scenes because when you're producing you're in charge of telling the whole story right um, you're in total control of the room um, so so those two things specifically um I just I enjoy the art form of communication whatever form that communication takes specifically I love the oratory form uh but I hate the
0: social media form
1: I hate the social media form I think it is uh Absolutely, uh, reducing the intelligence level and the grammatical correctness of everything done in this country. We live off of 140 characters, and uh, they've upped it. You know, since when?
0: It's what 280 now. Come on, really? Give, give it the times.
1: It the uh, time. yeah, I tweet like five words, so
0: you should start threading. But we'll get to that later.
1: What's this thread? 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 It's a, it's
0: a new thing. It's a new. It's thread. a new thing. It's no, but but
1: but I I. You've heard me say this before. You have, I tell every young broadcaster, it's not about the sport. You know, we got into it because we love sports, right? Sure. That's the passion as a young kid. you You love watching hockey for me. Baseball was my number one sport. But you learn over time. There are a lot of people who love sports. That's right. The difference between you and I and the average guy that sneaks away from his cubicle to go talk about last night's game at the water cooler is we can articulate it. It's true. That's the difference.
0: I, I found myself wondering if now, though, I'm more of a broadcasting fan than a sports fan, if that makes any sense. Sports in what is way? just the medium in which I deliver it. I, I, I found over probably the last, I don't know, I guess four or five years that mm-hmm. I'm becoming more and more a student of the broadcast and I'm enjoying that more than the actual sports. I watch less sports now that I work in sports. You know, I watch less I hockey. think being
1: a news anchor is cool as can be. Agreed. Like, I would want to be Lester Holt on the NBC Nightly News one day. <laughs> like, imagine being like Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes. Exactly.
0: Exactly. But, and that's broadcasting, just a different medium than what we do. But Scott
1: Pelley. That would be amazing. I'm a 60 Minutes guy. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm an old man. I watch you, 60 you, Minutes You every are Sunday. an old man.
0: But back to the Younger point. like you. A couple of years. Don't don't you hit Sorry. me with the the just for men or or whatever you hit me with. Touch a gray. Don't don't touch a gray. That's what it was. Don't well, let's not do that. But no, no, I I've become more of a student, and I've enjoyed the sport of broadcasting more than anything else. You know what I tell my students, I the mean, kids,
1: kids that I work with, uh, those who want to get into doing broadcasting, who want to be on the air. I tell them, go read some of the best political speeches in history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I had a political speech uh, Go read, it it Go read
1: delightful. any Barack Obama speech. Go watch Ronald Reagan and his line, his one-liners at debates, his ability to improvise. Go actually read the transcript of anything Martin Luther King Jr. or anything Winston Churchill. I mean, we get caught up on the famous line of the I Have a Dream speech. Go, or
0: Gorbachev tear down this wall. Right, if you want exactly. To talk about Reagan,
1: go actually read the transcript of that speech, of the "I Have a Dream" speech. The imagery, the the manner with which he speaks, is is different.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Reagan was a sports broadcaster, right?
1: He was. He started doing radio and. Uh, Iowa somewhere. There's was, some great stories about him doing before baseball. he got into acting. He was doing baseball. Yeah.
0: Did you ever hear the story of uh, the longest at bat in history? Yes, I have. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't heard that story, Ronald Reagan was doing play by play, but in those days, you were doing it from a studio, and someone was actually at the stadium who was relaying what would happen at the stadium back to the studio, and then someone would call play by play. Like of the scene
1: that. in uh, was it Bull Durham has the scene where they clap yes. the wood. And that mimics the the sound of the ball hitting the bat because there's some form of transmitter that's sending a a feed of what happened in the game, and it's a recreation in the studio.
0: Exactly. And what had happened was that communication line broke down. So Ronald Reagan is in the studio, and he's talking, telling a story, and, oh, this one's fouled off to right, and another one fouled off into the dirt down the left field line. None of this is happening. He's just making it up. What's the one thing? What's that?
1: The one thing that can extend a game without any finality. A foul. A foul ball. Exactly.
0: I mean, if you have two strikes, you could foul that off until right. next week. It doesn't right. matter. It's not going to change anything. And it was brilliant. Uh, that was, I think, his last play-by-play job, though, because then he decided to get and him, became an actor. You know, into the show is But, but, but yeah.
1: I'm, I'm telling you, its you have to love to read. You do. You have to be able to expand your vocabulary. You have to be able to expand uh, the phrases you use in your command of the English language. And you have to be quick on your feet and have an ability to improvise and articulate it um, instantly. The the skill, there's a difference between being a great reader and being someone who is a talented, extemporaneous communicator. And when you're doing play-by-play, you have to be the latter. That's right. You have to be.
0: If you want to be an anchor, you can be the former. Because you can be a former reading, a little bit. You're reading, but, but that.
1: nowadays with 24/7 cable news, there's a lot less that's scripted and a lot more interviews. And I mean, you have to be able to improvise. That was Reagan's great skill. That's true. Um, I mean, John F. Kennedy was great at was great at the at the impactful one-liner. Uh, he was really good at that. I mean, I study political speeches of history. Um, you are old, but that that's how you command the English language. That's that's. If you want to know what the um, the essence of what we do is, we are communicators. Sure. We are connecting with people. And what profession, as much as people want to dump on politicians in the modern era, what profession is literally the goal connecting with people more than politics? I don't want to get into that. But but no, I'm being honest with you. You're right. You're right. I'm being serious. You're right. Their job is to connect with people and earn their vote. And so, if you actually study, don't get caught up in the in the crap of the debate. But if you actually study some of these talented communicators,
0: the of, linguistics of it all of it is, all of it. Yeah,
1: you, you. I mean, there's a reason why Barack Obama came out of nowhere. The guy's the most talented orator of probably our lifetime. I mean, he had an ability to to write, an ability to deliver. Uh, in a way that's different than anyone else. And he, he was, I think, the third youngest president ever elected. And he was at the bottom of the field, if you remember correctly, at the start, at the start of, the, of the primaries in '08. Came out of nowhere, was a tidal wave. Why? Because of his ability to communicate. And that's what I, I tell people all the time. So when, when I watch political things and study political things, I look at it from the perspective of how are they connecting Right. How are they communicating?
0: It's not, not the why or the what. It's it's the, it's how. the how. Yeah, what, what's the and process? And
1: that's the same kind of thing that when people watch our games or watch this podcast, I like to think that I was gripping and move this thing along today. feel like we've been going for a while.
0: I've got a few texts here that we need to
1: pick it up because this is just droning on. I'm well, that's why. Just totally I want right. to move this show along. I want this show to go long, an hour 15, however, however long we've been going. But it doesn't feel like an hour 15. That's if you know how to communicate.
0: I love it. I love it. Phil, what's, what's the pie in the sky dream for you? This is my last question, and I don't want you to necessarily, you know, just no, give me some. No, I'm not answering that. Okay. You, you just want to keep it to yourself.
1: No, well... If if you if, if I'm gonna get personal, I don't tell a whole lot of people this. Let's put it on the podcast. I love it. <laughs> How hey, many for people all, are...
0: <laughs> all 15 of you out there listening? This is great content.
1: Great content. Um, the uh, my number one goal when I graduated college, really after I interned at Westwood One and I saw that operation and I saw that these guys are the best of the best. These guys are the closest thing to perfect that exists because there is no such thing as a perfect broadcast, but it's oftentimes how you save your mistakes and how you make it appear perfect. Uh, they hire the best of the best. And my goal was to one day get the call from them to be able to call a game for them. That was it. That was the singular goal that I set out for myself in my well, broadcasting that's career. So where are we at? That happened when I was 28. Where are we at? So I don't know. All right. <laughs> um, I, I there are things. Uh, I mean, I would love to be able to do regular network stuff. I think I've learned though that the industry is changing, and probably the best lifestyle is really um, getting in with a team, maybe with a professional team. I mean, I grew up a fan of the Yankees. Voice of the Yankees would be nice. I don't know.
0: John Sterling's eighty-five. He's got to be He's retiring 85. at some point, uh, right?
1: But exactly. I, I hope not. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I don't. I don't know that I have an answer to that question, except to say that I have learned to live in the moment. Get the most out of every day. Uh, I've accomplished some good things at a, at a decently young age in this business. Um, but there are far better and more talented and successful people than me out there. Uh, and just enjoy the gig that I have, enjoy the every day, and the rest will take care of itself.
0: Thanks again for coming out, man. This is a great talk. You and I, we talk shop a lot. We're gonna continue to talk shop. Again, I, I would not be sitting here in Charlotte, North Carolina if it weren't for Whoa. you. Just giving me that smack I up thank side you, the and head. you
1: have done a lot yourself. And I know I'm big time if I get the chance to chill with Shalot.
0: Like that double overtime game. Ooh, that was a fun time. Up in the press box. Anywho, that was Phil Constantino, the Director of Broadcasting at Gardner Webb University. This has been another edition of Chillin' with Shalot. We had a lot of fun here. We got plenty more coming up. Make sure you like and subscribe. Follow us wherever you get all of your podcasts. A lot of fun. Join us next time. We've got plenty more guests coming up right after this. Take care, everybody.